Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. What can be done about 2021 showing the first significant spike in years in the number of pastors who reported they were thinking about quitting? In Jeremy Reipel's new book, Pastor Jesus is enough. Jared Wilson states that the rank politicization of evangelicalism, the justice debates, the increasing balkanization among evangelical subcultures, and of course, the coronavirus pandemic, have seemed to make shepherding even more weighty than it already wants. We pause here to remind you the reason we have the Good Life radio program is to share how the love of Jesus makes a difference in the lives of people. I'm talking about the love of Jesus so strong that he died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. This hope is related to the book, Pastor Jesus is Enough. Jeremy Wrightbull is the author of that book, Hope for the Weary, Burned Out and Broken. He is the lead pastor, lead campus pastor of Woodside Bible Church in Plymouth, Michigan, and executive director of Gospel-Centered Discipleship. He also wrote the book, Ever Present, How the Gospel Relocates Us in the Present. Jeremy, welcome to our show. Thank you, Dr. Danny. It's great to be with you today. Hey, congratulations on your book, Pastors, Jesus is Enough. It was striking just to read Jared Wilson's foreword in your book about the, the plight of pastors today. Before we get into that, a little background on yourself, Jeremy. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up, uh, uh, the way I like to say it is I grew up all over the place. <laughs> I was uh, I was born in Denver, Colorado, and uh, when I was about eight years old, our family moved to southwestern Missouri, a small rural town there, and I uh, lived there for a couple years, and then uh, we moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, I was there uh, basically through uh, middle school, uh, junior high, and then another transition took our family to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was able to go through high school and finish and graduate high school there. So, I've kind of lived all over the country as a, uh, you know, as a child, and then um, after uh, college at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, again, kind of uh, been moved around uh, the country quite a bit as well. So, there's not too many places I don't feel like I haven't been yet. <laughs> so, as you write, you're able to. Picture places, remember relationships, connect with people in various locations through your words because mm -hmm. of where you've been. Who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? 
Well, certainly my parents had a significant influence in my life, and that was one of the, I think, marks of God's grace in my life was that my my mom and dad are both followers of Jesus. Uh, They've served the Lord on the mission field over the last 25 years. And then um, both my uh, both sets of my uh, parents, parents, my grandparents, also faithful believers and love Jesus and walked with him well. And so I just had that great model in our family of uh, people who um, knew Christ and uh, wanted to pass on the heritage of the gospel to uh, to their children and uh, and give that to us. But then I also was uh, formed and shaped, I think, well by uh, particular teachers and uh, youth pastors um, in my life um, in various locations and just just folks that were um, eager to see me uh, love Christ well and serve him with my whole life and um, point me to Jesus and what he's done for us. And, and the need of the gospel all over the world. And so uh, some of those teachers and uh, youth pastors and leaders were very formative for me. Let's go a little further on that, your spiritual formation. Growing up mm-hmm. as a, as, as a, in a missionary family, these teachers, these friends, these mentors, in your growth, what were some significant moments for you Sure. Well, one thing I should say is that I didn't grow up as a missionary, you know, as a traditional missionary kid. My mom and dad didn't actually go into vocational ministry um, as uh, foreign missionaries until I had gone uh, to uh, to Bible college. So uh, that was a little uh, later in their oh. life for them. Mm-hmm. Um, dad was working in uh, an industry uh, related to banking uh, software and computer industry. And so um, the the context that we were living in were, um, you know, everyday normal um, American environments for us. Uh, but these, the, uh, some of the schools that I was at, um, and, uh, just the churches that I was at, um, the, those people investing in my life really, um, began to be important. One, one person in particular, I think I can think of a couple, but one person when I was in middle school and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, asked me the question, you know, they were asking, what do you want to do when you, when you grow when you grow up, Jeremy, what's your which, what are you going to spend your life doing? And I, I really enjoy baseball and football and sports. So my, my thought was I'm probably not athletically inclined. I'm not going to make the majors <laughs> um, given my, uh, given my athletic ability, but uh, I like to talk about sports. And one of the professions that stood out to me was uh, being a play-by-play uh, analyst or a play-by-play radio uh, caller for baseball games. I thought that'd be so great to go to every baseball game, sit in the booth, talk about the ball game. And this friend asked me, well, Jeremy, what is that going to do for the kingdom of God? How is that going to serve Christ and his um, and his work? And the question um, stopped me in my tracks. I didn't have a good answer for it. And uh, it, it kind of became the nagging question of my heart of, of how how am I going to serve the Lord? What am I going to do with my life that that matters significantly for the sake of eternity? Mm-hmm. And then in high school, I had a teacher who introduced me to uh, the work of Jim Elliott and the uh, f- uh, four other missionary uh, men in and their families in uh, Ecuador that uh, were killed at the hands of the Alca Indians in the in the fifties and how they laid down their life for Christ and really Jim Elliott's writing. And um, that had a profound influence on my heart of saying, I think that God might be calling me to go overseas and uh, serve him over there. Uh, But I was redirected again by one more moment in college in my freshman year. I was at Founders Week at Moody Bible Institute and uh, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce came and uh, 
preached to the uh, students there. He preached from Romans 11 on the glory of God. And in that, in that message, I just sensed God saying to me, Jeremy, what you see Dr. Boyce doing there and preaching the word to the church, that's, that's what I have for you. That's your calling. And I want you to do that with your life. And so those, those moments really helped direct me and my, my thinking and my living about how God was going to use me. Such, such clarity and an indelible impressions that the Lord mm. gave you. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, and, and then, of course, your, your, your gift in communicating, your gift in speaking. I, I, when you talk about being a play-by-play announcer in baseball, mm-hmm. did you practice that? Did you ever, when you were growing <laughs> up, did you... You know, I actually did. record yourself doing, doing well, I never recorded myself. I, so mom and dad, you know, get me, this is the, uh, you know, this is the late nineties and mom and dad get me a Nintendo game boy to take with us on road trips. And I get uh, one of these baseball games for it. And, um, you know, it's maybe a little embarrassing to say this now, but I would sit in my bedroom and I would play, uh, one of the games, the baseball games, and I would do the play by play as I was playing wow. <laughs> there. So, play, play. Uh, yeah, so I did practice a little bit. Yeah, you you gave, you gave, you gave commentary on your own performance. Right. And I would listen to oh, baseball man. myself. And so I would hear uh, the great Jack Buck uh, call yes. St. Louis Cardinal games yes. and just want to emulate his style. And, and um, even the way that he talked about baseball, just, it was something to mimic. Well, you talk about Jack Buck, James Montgomery Boyce is uh, mm. uh, certainly a role model to follow when it comes to the ministry and pastoral ministry and preaching. So uh, thank God for you following and being influenced in that way, for you remembering, and look at what you're doing now. Let's take a break. When we come back, you're going to hear from Jeremy Wrightbull about his book, Pastors, Jesus is Enough. He'll unpack how he was led to write that book and what the impact is and will be in the days to come. In Pastor Jesus is Enough, Jeremy Wrightbull invites pastors to hear the words of the risen Jesus in the seven letters within Revelation 2 and 3. Find out more about the book, lexempress.com. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. 
a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Scott Souls says of the book, Pastor Jesus is Enough, written by Jeremy Wrightbold, for all who are eager to see and savor the rest-giving attributes of Jesus afresh, I highly recommend this book. This book is available at lexampress.com, Amazon, Christian book distributors, and and distribu- distributors uh, in places where uh, Christian books are sold. It's available for you there. I encourage you to get a hold of that. If you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of that last segment, you can get this program in its entirety, go to drdanny.live. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and major podcast platforms. Jeremy, what were the circumstances that inspired you to write, Pastor, Jesus is Enough? Yeah, I I, um, am one of the pastors at Woodside Bible Church here in the Detroit metro area. We have uh, 14 campuses uh, in southeast Michigan, and I've been here with the church now for eight years, Um, was the first uh, kind of the founding campus pastor, if you will, at the Plymouth campus. And in 2018, our uh, our then senior pastor, Doug Schmidt, who had served uh, Woodside as a senior pastor for well over 25 years, he announced that he was going to be transitioning and it was time for him to pass the baton on to a new a new senior pastor at the church. And so in setting that up, one of the things that he was concerned about and one of the things all of us as campus pastors were concerned about was uh, making sure that Woodside was well served and understood um, who we are uh, theologically, methodologically, what are, what are our principles and values and making sure that we we identify and address those so that we do not drift from uh, from what we believe God has called us to do and to be. And one of the ways that we wanted to help uh, the church as a whole uh, see that and be encouraged by uh, what we're called to be was to take the church through a series of sermons in Revelation uh, chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus addresses the seven churches um, in uh, in Asia Minor there. And so I was working on those sermons. I served as the uh, series editor for our church and distributing some research notes and uh, resources to all of our campus pastors around that ser- uh, series. And so uh, doing all that work and then also preparing and preaching those letters myself, I just sensed that there was <clears throat> something significant for us here in in those letters. And then I it caught my eye where Jesus begins each letter by saying to the angel of the church at such and such a place. That uh, I, I I interpreted that term angel uh, to be messenger or, or or saw that to be Jesus addressing the pastor first in the things that Jesus was calling the church to address and to to look at and to deal with he was also I think. Uh, primarily, or be, uh, at least initially, addressing a pastor and how he led the church, and the way that that worked out in his life would also have an influence in the church itself as a whole. And so I began to see that, and it began it began to be exciting to me to say, I think Jesus is talking to pastors, and I want to be able to communicate and encourage pastors as well about Jesus and who He is, and His, as I say, His enoughness uh, for us in in ministry and in life. And so that led me to begin um, kind of putting together the framework of the book and the chapter outlines and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, Lexham Press agreed to publish the book. That that was really exciting. But that also came right in the middle of 2020. And so the day I signed the contract to write the book, 
I came up out of the basement because we were all in lockdown still and uh, came up into the living room where my wife was sitting. And I just had this, this sense of um, fear and trepidation, also excitement, but just this awe, I guess, maybe would be the way I'd put it uh, about writing this book. And I said to my wife, Stephanie, I said, Stephanie, I'm, I don't know what I've just done. And she looked at me funny and said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I've agreed to write a book called Pastor Jesus is Enough. And in there, I talk about how pastors um, love Jesus first and foremost, how they suffer, how they uh, teach and tell the truth. And I believe, I, I just have this feeling that in some way or another, in the next year or so, as I write this, Jesus is going to to try and work these things out in my own heart and life so that what I'm saying is authentic and true. And I think I'm going to have to be able to say, I believe that Jesus is enough for me and all of that. And so that uh, that was where the front end of the book began. And then, you know, we hit uh, many of the the trials of 2020 with uh, the political separations and divisions and the, the racial uh, issues in our country and uh, trying to address those as a pastor and a leader. Uh, and the book became very personal. And, and I think what I said, to my wife began to be true of Jesus walking me through some of these things so that I could say this uh, very authentically and real um, about who Jesus is. Say a little bit about the personal part, because you talk about, you know, God had to work this thing, these things that you're writing about within your own heart. But as you do, share with us about some of the anxieties that pastors face, yourself included, and how the book addresses them. Sure. You know, as I, as I started to write and we were kind of at the front end of um, whatever 2020 was going to be and is, uh, I, I began to think about just this idea that um, Jesus, um, he, he wants to work within me. And so one of the pressures that I was sensing was uh, my campus in particular had been growing uh, significantly over the prior five years. We were now at a, a spot of about 350 uh, people on a Sunday morning. That was exciting. And then uh, the pandemic hits and we can't gather. And uh, I had made some comments in our church with our leadership about um, some of the racial unrest in our country and wanting to be uh, sensitive and compassionate to our, our brothers and sisters of color who were walking through serious suffering and, and hardship. And that didn't sit well. And, and it all kind of began to break out where uh, when we began to regather again, uh, there was one Sunday morning, I turned around and looked back into the congregation and there was maybe 10 people there at the moment. And I just felt like I had lost everything and wasn't sufficient uh, for the ministry at the time. And I think that that's where you know, one of those anxieties comes up of just being uh, leaders that have to have to hold it together. We've got to be the strong ones. We've got to be the ones who are um, capable and competent and credible for for our church. And when there's a moment of weakness or where we're just, you know, our humanity shows up, our frailty shows up, um, that can be really disorienting for a pastor because we don't want to show that weakness and we don't want to project that uh, incapability or that incompetency uh, in our ministry. So that that would be one area where I would just say, like, that was really something personal I was dealing with and trying to address in my own heart and understanding, God, what are you doing and what are you saying to me in this? The, the book pulls back the curtain, and then it peels layers and layers of the pastoral life, and you, you present the heart of a pastor— in a way that a pastor doesn't want people to know <laughs> that, that these things actually go on in 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 one's mind or one's heart as a as a leader 
but there it is. It's it's sort of mm. there, and that's one of the things I appreciated about the book, the affair. You write about the affair. Mm. How is ministry, Jeremy, like a mistress to pastors? And and oh, and really, yeah. what's at the heart of this issue of the affair? Well, ministry. I mean, one of the reasons I went into ministry was because it was exciting. You know, I, I was I was given this vision of leading uh, God's people to grow in Christ, to be more like Christ, to see this you know kind of upward trajectory of uh, new converts coming to the faith and baptisms and life change and transformation. And that, that vision of ministry itself is rather appealing and alluring. Uh, it's, it's enticing even. And then when you, you get into pastoral ministry and uh, your teaching begins to resonate with people and they're hearing uh, God through your words and, and they're growing in their faith and obedience. And you're seeing some of the good things of ministry it becomes seductive even and you're you're saying boy this is it this is why i went into ministry and this is what i'm living for and there can be this replacement where we exchange uh really our christian identity who we are in christ and our union with him we exchange that for the identity that ministry gives us you know so if you're a if you're a quote unquote successful pastor and your church is growing and you're seeing lots of conversions and life change and all these good things, your ministry identity is that you're a winner and uh, success is there and and others should emulate your ministry and you should write books about the model of your ministry and you know be a coach to to those who are struggling in ministry so you can help them along. And if you if you focus in on that, what will happen, I believe, is you will lose your focus on Christ first and foremost. You you can begin to be so wrapped up in the success of ministry that you fail to see the Lord and the Savior of the church Himself, Jesus, and um, replace Him. And so that's where that, that idea of of the affair, as you put it, um, uh, comes in. We can uh, Jesus speaks to this church in Ephesus as the first letter that He addresses and. Uh, he says this church on the outward looks really successful. The the pastor's ministry looks fantastic. They're doing they're doing great works. They hold right doctrine. They they've stood the test and they're faithful in their community and in their city. But he says this I have against you that you've lost the the love you had at first or your first love. You've replaced ministry success with love for me. And so I think that that can show up in a pastor's lack of communing with Christ, a, a lack of of prayer and cultivating. The that love and devotion to him. Um, and when we're all after the, the, the success of ministry more so than we are the savior who gives us ministry, um, we're, we're in a dangerous spot. Someone might be listening today and saying, Hey, Danny, I thought, you know, you were going to talk about pastors and anxiety and you're talking about success and some twists that go on in terms of a pastor's perception. Do they connect? Well, we'll talk more with Jeremy Wrightbull the author of the book, Jesus, Pastors, Jesus is Enough. We'll unpack a bit more. Well, Jeremy will unpack more for us as we go along. Open your heart. Open your heart. This is a book to, to get for your pastor. This is a book for you to read to better understand your pastor. This may be a book, if you're a pastor who is a pastor of pastors, is a book to study together with as a guide in your pastoral group, it might even be with your denominational group, something for you to use. This 
expository teaching from Revelation 2 and 3. It's timely, it's eye-opening, grounded, Jeremy Reipel. When we, when we come back, we'll talk more with him. You can find out more about the book. You can get the book at lexampress.com. It's available at Amazon and Christian book distributors. Jeremy Reipel, the exhortations in Revelation 2 and 3 are directed to churches, but they also exhort pastors. And that's the exhortation that is given by Jeremy. He'll share more with us, heart to heart with you, dear friend. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Namelessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. In what way have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Do you have a story to share about God's provision and deliverance? Have you experienced God's healing? Do you have a testimony that will encourage others? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. I want to share your story on our radio podcast. Please visit drdanny.live and share your Jesus story by clicking on the link at the top left of the home page. If you'd like to share your testimony in the form of a letter, send your correspondence to Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. That's Formation Institute, P.O. Box 381-222, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 02238. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. The exhortations in Revelation 2 and 3 are directed to churches, but they also exhort pastors. In these letters, Jesus draws near to pastors, whether hurting or straying, and reminds them of his sufficiency. In these warnings and promises, Jesus had words for pastors, but they are the words of life. Most of all, Jesus urges pastors to to keep their focus on him. This is from the book, Pastor Jesus is Enough by Jeremy Wrightbull. He joins us today. Jeremy, James K.A. Smith says, if the heart is like a compass, we need to calibrate our hearts to the creator, our magnetic north. As you speak about suffering, as you speak about pastors refocusing on the Lord, in what way does Smith's quote relate Mm -hmm. with your work? Sure, we can get so busy in doing the stuff of ministry that we fail to um, to be present with uh, Jesus Himself, and we can fail to commune with Him, uh, to enjoy Him, to grow in Him, to flourish in Him. And so, I love how Smith says that as a way of reminding me to be a worshiper as well. Uh, you know, I've got to kind of 
push the stuff back from my desk and um, uh, set aside maybe some time where I'm not meeting with people to counsel them or I'm not doing administrative tasks for the church or trying to handle uh, budgets and facilities and those things. But I'm just saying I need to be um, I need to be with Jesus as his son right now. And, um, and with the father as a son, with Jesus as my brother, and just enjoy his presence and remember who he is and remind myself of his love. And so some of those spiritual practices and uh, disciplines that have been so um, necessary for spiritual formation over the, over the centuries, I, I believe pastors need to be as richly involved in as they commend them to their congregations. So so things like regular prayer and um, being in the word and hearing the voice of, of God through Christ and his word um, of, of silence and solitude of fasting, those, those spiritual disciplines, those, those spiritual formations are, are ways to recalibrate our heart and uh, cultivate. I, I think I put it, cultivate our love for Christ again and again and again, um, which is so necessary for us as pastors because we have so much that we want to do and so much that we want to see done. You mentioned the Book of Common Prayer. You mm-hmm. write about the daily office and some of the practices that, that you use. I'm just thinking a pastor listening may, may concede to all the things that you've just mentioned. The, the pastor might even say, well, I, I know that, I know that. But in their experiential moment, they might be saying, I actually feel like I, I can't even breathe. It's like mm-hmm. I need to be IV or I need an oxygen mask, whether it's literal or, or, or figurative. I'm, I'm running on fumes, Jeremy Reipel. Mm-hmm. I'm running on empty. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't even, I, I'm doing things out of road memory. I'm doing things out of habit. And my heart, my heart is, so cold and so far out, how do I ever bring any of that back? That's why I want to quit because I'm discouraged. I feel like a hypocrite every day, every Sunday when I get into the pulpit. If my people, the people in our church only knew, my wife doesn't even know. My Mm. kids don't even know. (laughs) I think I'm insane. I mean, what would you say, Jeremy Reipel? Well, I would say, first of all, friend, you're not insane. This is <laughs> this is something that we, um, I think, is is uh, perhaps even becoming more normative to the pastoral vocation. That there is a need because we are working so much in the things of God that um, there can become a dryness or a uh, you know experiential just um, performative repetition uh, two things. That's where I actually found the Book of Common Prayer and uh, the Daily Office so helpful to me. Um, I, I don't come from a high church background. Um, and so uh, the Book of Common Prayer and, and Daily Office, that was a little bit foreign to me. And when uh, the COVID pandemic hit, I I was at a loss. I was struggling for, you know, how, how do I structure my time? How, what do I do with, I don't even know what to say to God right now. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm sad. I'm hurt. Um, and so uh, this practice, which is outside of my own tradition, 
uh, was introduced to me and it, and it in some ways gave me, it, it became like railroad tracks, railroad ties where I could just, I could put my, my life down on the tracks of uh, the daily office of morning prayer and evening prayer and just walk through those. And, and all of a sudden I found really rich resources in terms of what to pray, confessing my sin, uh, working through the Psalms daily and just letting the language of the Psalms be the language that, um, fuels and fills my vocabulary in prayer and and looking and seeing here's I don't have to figure out a daily reading plan right now it's just here's what's on the the calendar for today here's what the appointed readings are and I can take those up and and in those I was finding more and more um, you know maybe some days better than others but but there was Jesus speaking to me and there was his word and it began to be helpful to warm my heart and be just that framework to walk with Christ. And so some pastors who may use those things already and feel that dryness and feel that um, just that this isn't working sort of thing may need to step outside of their own uh, pastoral tradition and and find within the Christian faith another way of approaching these things, Lectio Divinia or some, uh, you know, taking up a one-year reading plan or something like that. Or And maybe the biggest thing I would suggest and encourage was um, doing this with other believers, uh, finding another pastor to be your pastor, as it were, finding another a spiritual confidant to be able to say, um, friend, this is where my soul is is really struggling, and this is what I'm really wrestling through. Could you just pray with me? Um, I have a, a good friend who is my uh, spiritual director, and I like to describe him as one who's just taking, he's just going with me to God every time we meet. And um, he's just been a, a rich resource of never being directive or saying, here's what you need to do, Jeremy, as he listens to me, but other than saying, okay, well, well, what do you think this has to do with your relationship with God? What do you think God is thinking in this? And how are you feeling about that? Let's go talk to him about this. And he just gives me space uh, to pray and to be before the Father in my prayers, uh, kind of being an advocate alongside me in that regard. Uh, in spiritual direction. And so I think pastors can use a friend and a helper like that in their own lives. Thank you for sharing out of your own life, your journey. In chapter three, you call it the title, it's titled Pastors Suffer. How does Jesus, as he writes to the church at Smyrna, encourage pastors who are suffering? the biggest way that he encourages pastors who are suffering is with himself. And that's where he starts, really. He offers himself. Every one of these letters begins with a, a vision or a picture of who, of who he is as Jesus. And he, he reveals himself to the church in Smyrna as the one who has the words of the first and last, last who died and came to life. And so he positions himself right then and there as a fellow sufferer and one who has suffered on their behalf to be able to encourage this pastor in this church in their own suffering. And, and the remedy that he offers in that is to say, you know, see where you're at. You know, you, you see these folks that are slandering you, recognize them for who they are. They're of the enemy. They're of the one who would accuse and divide and discourage you, understand what they are. And then he says, do not fear. Uh, again, he is he is encouraging this pastor. I've I've got you in my hand, uh, as it were. Uh, I'm not going to let you go. Uh, even the tests that you may uh, experience, you may be thrown in prison. You'll suffer, maybe even to death. Um, be faithful in that, because I've got you. I'm enough for you. I will I will hold you. Uh, I will raise you to life again. He says at the end of the letter to the one who conquers. 
that one will not be hurt by the second death. And that's the reality of our union with Christ. And that as we've uh, placed our faith and tri- trust in Jesus, as we've believed and anchored our life in him, we are united to him. And so uh, as, a, as a friend of mine, pa- fellow pastor says, what's true of Christ is true of us and what belongs to Christ uh, belongs to us. Our future in Christ is as bright as uh, the sun in glory uh, right now. And so that just reality of Jesus saying, I've got you. And because I've overcome death, because you're in me, you will overcome as well. Um, you won't be touched by the second death. So uh, so it's an invitation for us to hang on to Jesus and to look to him as our uh, leader in suffering and in affliction, um, because he will carry us through. Such a timely word for one to be reminded that it's Jesus' words. Jesus is saying, look, I, I've got you. I've got you mm-hmm. in my hands. Does that mean that Jesus has got a pastor in his hands, a pastor who feels disheveled, who is disorganized on the inside, who is seemingly upside down in terms of their own perceptions of even themselves and confused in ministry. Does Jesus still have that pastor in his hands? Absolutely. I love how Jesus before we ever meet any one of these pastors or any one of these churches, you've got to go back to Revelation 1, where Jesus presents himself before the, before the church, and he just kind of unveils himself to John in this vision. And um, you see there, the, in this description, you see Jesus, and, and the scripture says that he is holding seven stars in his hand, and he is standing in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And then at the very last verse of chapter one, that is interpreted for us. So the seven stars are the seven angels or the seven messengers, the seven pastors of the church, uh, and the seven gold lampstands are the church themselves. And so you have a a picture here, even with the number seven of completion, Uh, Jesus completely holding all of his pastors in his hand. He is standing in the midst of all of his churches, and we don't know a thing about these churches. We don't know if they're doing great. You don't have a sense of like, well, all these pastors are all stars and they're all going to be in the hall of faith and uh, just morally ex- excellent uh, people. You just know that Jesus has pastors in his hands. And then you start to, to read as Jesus talks to each one of these pastors and churches, you see where the, the struggles are. You see where the weakness is. Two of the five churches don't receive a rebuke or a, a challenge to repentance. They actually are just encouraged and strengthened by Jesus's presence. But every single one of these, these leaders, uh, whether they're doing great or not, are there in Jesus's hands um, because they've trusted him. And their faith and hope is in him alone. And that's, that's where our salvation uh, lies in Christ. You're listening to Jeremy Wrightbull. Jeremy is the author of the book, Pastor, Jesus is Enough. Exhortations in Revelation 2 and 3. You know, being enough is exhausting. But Pastor Jeremy Wrightbull says, the good news is that you cannot be enough because only Jesus is enough. You can find out more about the book at lexampress.com. Again, Christian Book Distributors, Amazon.com. It's available for you there. This would be a great gift to give to your pastor. This might be a, a moment. You just never know. When we come back from our break, you're going to hear more from, from Jeremy. You just never know what a pastor is going through. How long is the, how long is the line, as it were? 
one might feel so discouraged and you might not even know it. This gift uh, could be timely, grounded in the Word, in the Scriptures, and centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe a lifeline. Again, Pastor Jesus is enough. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life Namelessly beneath the barren sky Leave it to me Hi, this is Danny Yamashiro. A woman in Boston recently told me, I listen to your program every day and was inspired by the man who became an NFL quarterback. A person in Orlando said, I heard your podcast of the man who came to God during the Jesus movement. Another friend said, That pastor who gave one of his organs to a boy without ever meeting the child touched me about Jesus' love. The Good Life with Dr. Danny radio podcast is made possible through financial partners. Would you consider sending a gift to keep our program going? Podcasts are downloaded in 45 states and 25 nations. Help us expand our reach. Go to drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. That's drdanny.live and click support this media ministry. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Trevin Wax says of Jeremy Wrightbull's Jesus, Pastor Jesus is Enough. He says, wise, measured, and profound, applying the heart of the gospel to the heart of the pastors. The question comes up, why should pastors pursue righteousness? Well, let's put it this way. Jeremy, in light of the idea of preserving reputation, which pastors do quite well intuitively, why should pastors pursue righteousness and godly lives? Well, there's a way in which you can look at your life and you can see, you know, the outward external things. You can see, you know, the things that you do, the uh, places you go, the the external trappings of a good life. And, and you can think, well, pastors have it all together, right? <laughs> they, um, they externally perform really well. And yet that can deny the internal realities of a pastor's heart, his thought life, uh, even to the degree that he's able to shield and hide some of his home life and some of his own secret uh, sins and thoughts. Um, the the internal, I, I believe, uh, can be rotting away and the external can look really, really fantastic. And so that's why Jesus uh, addresses that in one of his letters where he, he says to the church of Sardis, you, externally, you have a reputation for being alive. And yet you're dead. Uh, that's, I think, a really, really stark word to a pastor. I would, I would shudder to hear that to myself to say, it looks like everything, you know, outside looks great, but inside, you, you know, you're not, you're not full of the spirit. You're not alive to Christ and to what he's doing. And I'm, I'm concerned that in many ways, pastors today could be that very thing. There is a, a drive, you call it 
a yearning to be spoken or unspoken, to, to, to earn a spot in the quote-unquote pastor's hall of fame. A word about abiding in Jesus from John 15 that relates to this secret yearning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we want to, um, I, I don't know a Christian, I'll put it like that, that goes, man, I want to fail. I want to just, I'll try it for a little bit and um, probably bomb out halfway through. Um, we, we want to be uh, successful. And, and I think even for a pastor, we feel that all the more. My experience um, coming up into pastoral ministry and even some of the, uh, the people I was listening to and the environments that I was seeing them minister in was more of the, the stadium uh, event where, you know, there's thousands upon thousands that are gathering to hear this particular pastor or Christian leader speak and teach the truth. And, and you know, I think most of us, when we get ready to go into ministry, we're saying, that's, boy, wouldn't that be great if God did that in us and through us? And we look and we say that we're, we're deceived in saying, thinking that that is the true fruit of, uh, of our ministry and the true fruit of our faith. And so we've got to do the external things to promote that and to see that happen. And so whether that's uh, platforming ourselves or building a great structure for church ministry and being an uh, uh, administrative guru, as it were, and being able to just to, to get people to follow us no matter what, um, those things can deny and, and even betray the way that true fruit is really borne out. And that is, um, as Jesus mentions and speaks of it, us abiding within him, abiding in him, remaining in him. Um, he uses that metaphor of the vine and the branches. And so uh, reminds us that our our reality is like a branch on uh, on his vine. He is the vine, and any life that that branch uh, sees uh, exhibited from it or produced from it, any fruit that's there, truly comes from him. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a vineyard before. I imagine you have, Doctor Danny, and and you've <laughs> you've seen those grapes growing on on a vine. I've never heard a vine grunt to try and produce uh, a grape. Right? It just it, it's happening because the branch is connected to the vine. And we as followers of Jesus are, are called into that same reality. Who is Christ? What has he done for us? Are we, are we following and communing with him? Are we resting in his love? Are we, as Jesus says, obey my commandments, remain in my word, remain in my love? Are we, are we staying close to him? And if we are, the, the reality is we will produce the fruit that he wants to work in and through us. Uh, the fruit of the spirit will be there. The fruit of evidence of love for Christ, even ministry fruit, I believe as we abide in Christ will be evident. And it may not be what we think it should look like or what our world would tell us it would look like, but it'll be the exact fruit that Christ wants to produce in and through us. You mentioned reputation. You mentioned buildings. You mentioned you know, crafting crafting the framework or the platform, mm. how, how mindful some of us are about those things. And yet you, you give a, a nuance of it in this talk about legacy to a point where we may think we're doing things for God, but there mm. is a slight shift that takes us off the center of Christ is this abiding related to that that you describe? Yeah, I think so. We can look um, so much at our resumes and so much at, at what we what we have built or what we are building 
and saying, I've got to protect this at all costs. And so that cost may include as well making compromises that would um, internally uh, be uh, be things that we would not approve of or or never really say we want to see happen in our ministries or our lives. But if we deal with that issue, <laughs> um, that will come at a cost to our legacy. And so there may be uh, pastors out there who have, you know, people in their church that they are afraid of because those people, if they, if they address those people in the church, you know, and they confront them, uh, Jesus is speaking to a church here who's got um, some folks in the congregation that are in significant sexual immorality. In a way that is, and in false teaching that is taking people from Christ. And it's as if the pastor is not dealing with it because he's got this reputation of being uh, successful. He's got a reputation of like he has held the line, he's been a faithful pastor. And I think there's this fear in his heart of, of, if he goes and addresses these false teachers, these folks that need um, to be disciplined uh, through the church and and called out for their sin and their false teaching, if he deals with that, he's going to suffer a significant loss in the church itself. Um, he may even be attacked by these leaders, and um, you know the, the the external trappings, the buildings, the budgets, the 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 crowd, as it were, might evaporate away if he calls truth truth and um, lovingly, but um, clearly has to disciple and discipline these folks in the church. And so that fear kind of keeps him from doing that, where he can just say, I've got this legacy and I just want, I need to protect that. That's the most important thing. There was a part in the book where you write, and this is related to what you just said, Jeremy, is let the word work. So the pastor preach, preaches the word, he's prepared, he's, so the message is delivered. Let the word work. It's almost like let the fruit be born organically as Christ is the one who bears the fruit. And there's a release in that in the sense of, you mean I can rest? I can take a day off? I can refresh? It's, it's almost like giving, giving the green light for someone who within their own framework might not really know the last time when they've had a day off and really enjoyed it because they didn't feel guilty that they were having a day off. So thank you for touching on a lot of nerves, but nerves that need to be touched. You do it tenderly. Mm. You do it biblically. So there's a safe safety in that. There's a safeguard in that. As we... Begin to wrap up today. I'd, I'd like to spend some time in prayer. I'd like to ask if you would pray for uh, a pastor, a pastor's family, mm, uh, yeah. a church. But before we pray, you write about a painting in City Church of Wittenberg in Germany, mm-hmm. a painting of Luther by Lucas Cranach. Describe the painting and what's the message? It's a wonderful painting. And my friend, Tony Merida, he was the one who kind of uh, pointed it out to me um, through, uh, through some conversations. So you've got the, the church at Wittenberg and there on the uh, right hand side of the painting is Martin Luther up in the pulpit and the scriptures are open and you can tell he's preaching. And then there's this uh, on the left hand side of the painting is the congregation and they're uh, kind of up in their, in their seats and their pews as it were. And uh, they're all 
you, you sense there's some movement happening there. They're they're listening, but they're they're lively. They're engaged in many ways, and and everybody has their eyes, except for one or two individuals in there. But everybody has their eyes right in the middle uh, middle of the painting, where there in the middle is uh, Christ and Him crucified. Uh, there and Luther on the right hand side of the painting has his fingers. He's got uh, one hand on the scriptures itself. So he's he's like got his fingers right under the words that he's preaching about, and his his other hand is pointing to the middle to Christ there on the on the cross, and it's as if he is saying, "All eyes up, all eyes on Jesus." Let's everybody focus and fixate on him. And the congregation is not even looking at Luther; they're looking at Christ as well. And I, I just love that that uh, painting and that image because it helps me remember what I'm called to do as a pastor, as I. Primarily, I'm called to be a, a messenger of God's word, a herald of the good news of Christ through the scriptures to the people. My objective is to help people fix their eyes on Jesus, or the way I like to say it here around my congregation is our job is to spotlight Christ. Uh, let's not get the spotlights on uh, the, the, you know, who's leading worship or even the pastor as he's preaching. Let's get the spotlight on Jesus. And so that idea that, that Luther has in that painting, that painting by Cranach just really helps me figure out and address the calling as a pastor. Let's, let's point people to Jesus because he is the savior. He is the one who is enough. He is the king. And uh, he is the one who loves us so deeply. Point people to Jesus. Were you doing that? Prayer. A prayer. Would you pray for a pastor, a pastor's family, church today? Jeremy Wrightpool, please. Absolutely. Our Father in heaven, we, um, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for the gift of, of your son, Jesus Christ, for us and for our salvation. And Lord, I think this afternoon about um, pastors who serve in your church, uh, in our country and all over the world. And I think uh, um, the needs that, that we carry. You are not immune or, or unaware of those burdens and of those needs. And so, Lord, I, I would pray for uh, pastors as they lead their congregations. Even today, would today be a day of rest for them, a day of drawing near to you, and a day of, of peace, uh, Lord. Might they be reminded of your love and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would sustain and strengthen these pastors in their ministries, Lord, that as we are called to herald the gospel and to make much of you, would you uh, enable us, Lord, to to do so effectively, to do so with, with grace and humility, uh, to do so to uh, make much of Jesus in everything. Uh, Lord, and, and where I know that uh, there are pastors who um, they and their families are just um, hurting, they're tired worn out and, and just um, not much is left in the emotional or even the physical tank, even spiritually, Lord. Would you sustain and strengthen them? I pray for their marriages, Lord, that their marriages would be marriages where they find friendship and uh, common union together and love and that the marriages of our pastors would flourish, Lord, as they are, uh, as their parents Father, would you give them grace to parent their children well, to see them love Christ and to walk in him. And uh, Lord, as, as they may struggle in that, give them patience and tenderness. Be near them. Lord, for your church, 
may we be reminded again today that we are your people, that we are your church. And uh, Lord, would you grow and cause your church to flourish in truth and righteousness and grace and in love. May the gospel abound through the church today and may Christ be exalted in all things. May your spirits work and may uh, renewal and revival occur all across our land because of your grace and because of your power and mercy. Lord, we lift up these churches, these pastors, these families to you. Would you sustain us, be enough for us because you are. Help us fix our eyes on Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jeremy, thanks. Thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Danny. Tender words, a tender encouragement from Jeremy Wrightbull, lexempress.com. My friend, God's timing is perfect, and there's no better time than right now to share the love of Christ with someone near you. And look, if you haven't done so, hey, this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus. Would you do that? Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or major podcast platforms. Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Jeremy Reipel, LexumPress.com. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator, Jan Yi, and board operator Joseph Valdivieso. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.